years to come, you want your children and your family to remember all the love you gave us and how hard you tried to make the perfect Christmas. I just, you just cocked it up. It's okay. It happens. All our holidays were always such a mess. Oh, yeah. How did you get through it? I had a lot of help from Jack Daniels. Welcome to the Mockingcast. I'm Scott Jones, your host, as always and ever. And normally, we come to you on Fridays to discuss, among other things, the contents of our weekly wrap-up post, Another Week Ends. And we will come to you tomorrow, as usual. But this is a special episode. I sat down in New York City with Duo Dickinson, friend of the show. He returns to the podcast. Duo is a longtime friend of Mockingbird and a world-class architect and just overall interesting chatty and charming gentleman. And we talk about surviving the holidays when they are tough. So I hope you enjoy it. Happy holidays to you and yours. I am here with dynamic (laughs) duo. Like you could be, Duo Dickinson, you could be the dynamic duo. Yeah, until you saw me, then you'd realize I'm the schlub duo. Yeah, I think you're just uh, more than adequate. Sometimes I'm less than inadequate. I had a friend who did a PhD, I think it was in Christian ethics at Oxford, and he said the nicest thing that was ever said to me in my whole residency there was when he t- when I turned my dissertation, my advisor said, this is adequate. Yeah, well, <laughs> that was high praise. That is, I will tell you that it is far better than the alternative. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, you got to be above some bar somewhere. Exactly. Speaking of bars, too, what do we have here? Well, I brought in because I thought we were going to be joined by the mystic and jovial Leal. We have a couple of chairs empty for Elijah and Leal. Yeah, Leal, Leal, Leal purports to be a man of the brown alcohol. He is. Um, Although, in all fairness, there's probably he's he probably doesn't discriminate that exclusively. No, but I will tell you that I brought him this bottle from Single Cask Nation, which is a a single malt Irish whiskey. Now, think about that: a single malt Irish whiskey, not Scotch. Irish whiskey. I've never had a single malt Irish whiskey. Well, and I will tell you, the people that founded this little group, which is you know, which is called the Jewish Whiskey Society. Uh, Josh Hatton is a friend of mine out of the, my same hometown in Madison, Connecticut, and he described this, and I, I had him write it down. He said, "Most Irish whiskey is blended whiskey, or if distilled in a copper pot still, they use malted and unmarked barley to save on the taxes." Now that's interesting. You and can really get an education on this podcast. I will, I will tell you, and and it's and I will keep this bottle sealed up because I am assuming that at some point before we're dead, Leo will show up. Leo will show up. Okay, I like and, that. and I think we have a future in the belly of the woolly mammoth of this church we're in now, and I think we'll be here for a while, and maybe he'll show up in a year or six. I like it. I like it. You never know. I never know. All right. Well, so we other than. Whiskey uh, <laughs> talking and things of this nature. This is our special episode. It's uh, not. It will be released not on a Friday, but it's a midweek episode. May even go up today. Actually, this I think is. We're very close to the to the to the most important time of the year, which is the the feast of Mithrius. Mithrius, which is I did, the, This is. I, I don't know the feast of Mithras. Well, he's the sun god, of, basically of of you know the Middle East that that actually created you know the spinoffs of of you know the the pagan god Jewel, which has became Yule, which became what the uh, people that really wanted to make those those unbelievers up north believe in Jesus. They said, "Oh, 
you have your feast of jewel. That just happens to be the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's good. I say that's good. Good. Good marketing. It's, it's great marketing. Uh, and, it, you know, so I, I, I think that we're doing a wonderful job of celebrating the, the feast of Mithraeus or pagan jewel god person. It's what the missiologists call contextualization. Yeah. yeah I th- or, or co-opting. I'm not yeah. sure which. Um, does it matter, really? Well, it's funny because the film Silence is, is coming out. Scorsese's, you know, interpretation of the Endo novel. And, you know, when the Jesuits first got to Japan, they were like, these people would make great Jesuits. <laughs> How do we make very the connection? Very How do we make the connection? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's part of, like, you know, the, the, the church kind of rises or falls with its ability to retell the story. Well, yeah. I mean, the, I was just talking to the assistant rector here and we were Ben and Ben we, Jahart. Ben Jahart. And we were talking about the fact that, you know, I'm really old and he's really young. And I said, the one thing that um, I think will lead this place forward is the extreme beauty of the consistency of the Episcopal prayer book, which can be used at, with as much infinite variety as the summer, as the winter solstice, to be either pagan or Christian or something, but to get people in the door. Yeah, I think the prayer book is. It, it does have. I mean, it's there's some free form in there. You can you can you can work. It's not as free as some of the free churches like the E Free, but it's no, but it's got some fluidity. No, let me let me ask you a completely unrelated, but maybe related to. Yes, yes. I've, I've been thinking about this. So every time I've ever hung out with you, yes, sir, you wear black. And I said to my wife today, I think Duo will have on black, but he might have a sports coat on. That's you, you nailed it's it. Winter. You nailed it. It's like a Steve Jobs thing or what? It's a coffee smelling thing. Uh, okay. Uh, I once asked very beautiful women at a party in Greenwich 30 years ago. I said, you New York ladies, why do you wear black? And she says, you ever brush up against anything in New York City? Uh so, uh, so, so the idea is it's, it's, and in fact, the sad thing about all creatives, you know, that now we're not creative people. We are called creatives. So architects and graphic designers and fine art, artists, the creatives, it's now become a uniform as are extremely expensive uh, eyeglasses. Wow. So, uh, I have very inexpensive eyeglasses. Uh, you can see they're actually, um, I don't even know where they are they're right now. They're in your pocket. Oh, they're in my pocket. Yeah, if you look at them, they've they've had they're all scratched. Do you see how scratched they are? Yeah. That would that just makes me not a good member in standing of the architecture fashion. I knew there was something I, interesting. I knew it. I mean I, I figured They're scratched and bad. So let's talk about surviving the holidays. My wife once said to me, before we were dating, we were with a group of people and it was around Thanksgiving, and I said, Are you going home? for the holidays. And she said, no, I told my family, I can, I can feel bad about myself in the comfort of my own apartment. I don't have to go to Michigan for that. Talk about a time warp. So, I mean, the holidays are often, I think, tough times for people. I mean, they're, they can, they can be sort of, they can be rough. I, you know, being an old football coach, you know, I came in contact with maybe thousands of thousands of football players over, over the last 40 years and player players that I played with and everybody else. And I, I often would ask them, do you have flashbacks? Not about, you know, brain concussions. They said, yeah, I, I do have flashbacks. I think sometimes I'm actually on the field just spontaneously. We thought about it and we realized that it's not just football. It's anything that you are completely immersed in when your brain is forming. So the earliest memories that almost all of us have are about the holidays because parents are trying to, to essentially with children, they're trying to create 
this amazing reality, which gives them joy, the children joy, there's enormous stress involved. And the kids get the stress. They get the stress. And then the kids evolve into having to perform. They've got to come up with gifts. They've got to sing the song at the school or the uh, the church uh, event. They've got to, they have to perform. And that performance anxiety in the holidays from everybody just lingers. And I, I think it takes a very simple, beautiful time and turns it into a real hellhole for people. Yeah. And you think about what's interesting in children in late modern industrial or post-industrial society are economically dysfunctional. Like if you're a pre-modern agrarian kid, you know I mean? More kids, more hands for, for, for the field or for, you know, yeah. kids, kids actually serve a function. Well, the holidays as we know them did not exist until the 19th century. Yeah. They're a complete invention of, of really industrialization. The, 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 the ability to create books and to have, uh, you know, the Christmas story uh, be, be mass published as one of these great, enormous, uh, hits of the, of this wacky new information system called printing, which was, was made available in the 1840s. The, the fact that, that, that you had, you know, uh, that book, um, Ed Allan Poe, right? I forget who wrote the book now. Um, just to overwhelm our culture, you know, with Tiny Tim and, and, and everybody else. Oh, he's, uh, Dickens, right? Dickens, Christmas Charles Carol. Dickens, Christmas right. Carol, right. A Christmas Carol. Because, because a Christmas Carol kind of overwhelmed 19th century England and then America. It created the Christmas world and then Hallmark ta- piggybacked onto that with cards in the late 19th century. And it was, it is truthfully not what anybody, not, not what uh, Pope Benedict, uh, de- debunked. It, it basically is this time when people are feeling stress because this, the planting season is over. The harvesting season is over. They have food for the winter. What do they do now? And as soon as there was central heating and as soon as, as soon as people could hang out at home and as soon as there was mass printing, people began to realize, oh, well, let's have a holiday, you know, and that coincided with, you know, the feast of St. Nicholas. And that was just happened to be the time that they thought was going to be the birth of our savior to get people into Christians from pagans. Well, there you go. And, and it's, and it's, uh, so it, I mean, it is interesting because we're not seasonal planters anymore, but it, <laughs> but it is still dark and cold. And there is this sense in which, Hey, we've made another year and we're about to head into the winter. But I think a lot of times, you know, because you're right, the expectation, like because kids are economically expensive and people, a lot of people have kids, right. For their own existential fulfillment. So it's, you know, one of the worst things, just reading a book on the drama of the gifted child. <laughs> and it was, it was, it was a really interesting book. And it, basically, I forget the author, but she's a, psych, she was a psychoanalyst. And in her research, she's saying that kids who have this kind of tra- traumatic struggle in childhood, they're the kids that know that their parents have emotional expectations of them. Like, like they're actually looking to get from the, chi- from the kid what parents should give a kid. And probably because the parent didn't get it. And so... You got that exactly right. And so it puts this immense amount of pressure on people. And, and I, again, I think this is heightened at, at the holidays, right? And oftentimes I think too, we, you know, maybe a relationship goes off the rail with loved ones, with siblings, with family, and, and you actually, maybe you've moved beyond it and become a more integrated person. But when you go back home, sometimes you revert <laughs> to the place where the chasm was or the wounds are. I think especially when, when you come back all as a unit and you have these large backstories that are now 
largely unknown when you're older and you come back for Christmas and you, but you're touching all the people that knew you before all your, your backstory happens. There's a weird thing about, it's like going to class reunion. You want to feel like you're a success. You want to feel like that at least you're not a worrier, not a failure. But what you just said about trying to make up for, um, trying to make up for something that you feel is inadequate in your childhood. You know, my parents grew up in the twenties and thirties and they, my mother had a quintessential kind of nice family life. My father did not. My father had a very tough time where his mother died when he was one year old, and he he was brought up by spinster aunts in Toronto. And so that sounds with, like a TV series. Spinster oh, aunts in Toronto, the real spinster wives. At spinster, some, the at real some, spinster aunts of Toronto. It's a long, deep story involving abortion and other things, which you'll be. It, it's very dark. But anyway, the bottom line was when he had kids late in life after World War II. He and my, my mother went nuts. The, the house was vacant. There was nothing in the house, nothing, when the kids went to bed on Christmas Eve. And then they put the kids to bed, and they pulled the tree out from behind the garage, and they decorated the whole tree, wrapped all the presents, did everything by dawn. So that by the time I, the third kid, in, in the 10th year of them being parents, that it all stopped because they were totally burned out. <laughs> but for the first 10 years, my brother and sister got this overwhelming surprise, which inevitably could never be live up to the amount of effort that my parents put into it. So my parents were disappointed. You know, it was exhausting. They were older. They're in their forties. It, it, Christmas became a very tough time for them, for us, for everybody, because it was just the expectation level was from who knows where it was from. And if you're Jesus, it's your birthday. So you don't get as many gifts. You're double, you know, this feel. Jesus was the original kid, right? Born on Christmas. It's, and you got kings bringing you this stuff too. Myrrh, frankincense, this is hip. You ever see the Ali G episode where, you know, Sasha <laughs> and Karen has this panel of religious people. He's like, well, um, why this Jesus guy, why did he go around with all them reindeers? The, the priest says, I think you're confusing. Uh, they're, they're, you're confusing our Lord with Santa Claus, you know, but you're talking about, you know, well, it wasn't he born uh, in, in like a stable manger or something like that. Well, that's because it was Christmas. There was no hotels. <laughs> well, the reindeer had to stay somewhere. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> so, yeah, but, I mean, it's interesting because you think about uh, one of the things. I actually brought this tomb with me, frankly, in which he talks about. Wow. I think I quoted it that's last time. That's a big book. It's an amazing book. Called, it's called Clinical Theology. But he talks a lot about the difference between acceptance as a gift versus acceptance as a reward. And early on in child development, he says, if you, if you get the sense that acceptance is a reward, all sorts of psychological maladies happen when really oh what we goodness. want in human development is a kid needs to feel like they're, they're uh, unconditionally accepted by their parent, you know, especially the mother early on, but then by both parents. And it's, it's interesting because it's an echo, it seems like, of of divine design or redemptive design in the human ego. That like mm. that what Christ gives people on every page of the Gospels, when, you know, there are these transformative moments. It's what actually we learn, yearn for in human development is this, this freedom from judgment, from having to be someone you're not, from external constrainer that he knows when you've been sleeping <laughs> right, he right. knows when you're right. awake right. he knows when you've been bad or good so be good for goodness sake Kanye. That, that, <laughs> and it sounds to me like that's that's the law right there absolutely and you know it would be nice if you could be bad and still be treated as if you were good yeah yeah that it, would be nice wouldn't exactly. it? exactly i mean i think that's i mean that's the challenge it was interesting too about 
I, th- I think about the virgin birth. I did a podcast recently, a friend of mine, Bill Bohr, on that virgin birth. One of the things we're talking about is it, it is like some of the other birth stories in scripture, but, but it's actually almost like the anti-type of them because mm. people like Hannah or people like Sarah were looking to get pregnant because the child would increase their status. It would for, you know, give them a name, descendants, prosperity. But Mary's not looking to have a child. And, and the reception of the child complicates her life. It, it doesn't necessarily enhance it. And so it, it, it's interesting because the means of our redemption, you know, the, the, the mystery is the incarnation, God becoming human. But the sign of it is this miraculous birth. And I think it shows the gratuitous nature of redemption. It's not, not, not only is it something we can't earn, it's not even something we would make up. I mean, it, it well, comes th- to us you you know, think, out of the blue. You think about how the, I mean, if you, if you believe that it's historically accurate that a that a young girl who was not married has a baby, the her husband to be is not the father, stays with her. They get married. They have more children. They have no money. They sort of create a life together, and then this this freaky kid that happened for whatever reason ends up at the age of thirty saying, "Oh, by the way, I'm the savior of the world." And they seemingly all hang together. Yeah. I mean, if you take away all of the theology, you take away, you just look at it as a straight sitcom. It is, it is an amazing sitcom. Yeah. And it's interesting because you have James, the brother of the Lord, who yeah. is one of the key apostles. You ever, do you ever read National Lampoon? They would, they would occasionally come out with a, with a parody uh, comic book called Son O' God. And, 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 <laughs> no, and, I haven't seen no, that. As a superhero. And so Son O' God was this guy who was, like a lot of the things you see um, uh, in The Onion, was just a guy, but had sort of a beatific glow around him and was kind of bemused by the fact that he was the Son O' God. At the same time, you know, bullets would fly off of him like Superman and he could fly and do crazy things. Um, it, it's one of these things where um, our popular culture wants to take something which we are very uh, reticent to accept, which is unconditional, universal love and acceptance. And it tries to make connections so that we can let it work into ourselves. Like, like Christmas, because Christmas, re- Christmas really, <laughs> I'm sorry, guys, it was either in September or March, depending on who you read. It wasn't on December 25th, but it is the predicate by which people can express the hope and love they have with them all the time. Yeah. It's a catalyst. It's a thing that allows you to be the better person you want to be. Yeah. And it's interesting, too, because right, it's one of the reasons it's around winter solstice. It's like you have this feast of light coming into the world on the darkest mm. day. And then the Feast of John the Baptist is summer solstice, the longest day of the year where the days get shorter. So with the idea that, you know, John says, I must decrease that he might increase. So it's oh, kinda, I never got that. Yeah, there you go. Look at me, not even Episcopalian duo. Really? And I'm just showing you. You're, you're a brother from another something. Exactly. Non-denominational, but very um, liturgically. Uh, I would say no, knowledgeable. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm a fan. I'm, I'm a I, fan. Well, I'm, as, I'm, I'm an ignorant fan. So I basically think that Jesus would have run more. I think the passing game wasn't working for him. <laughs> 
But that's that's because I you know I, I see things from a different perspective. We ran the Delaware Wing T offense where you run to set up the pass. But that I was tell, just, Delaware Wing T. I know, I know, yeah, I know, I know, know the Delaware Tubby Wing Raymond, man. Yeah, Tubby I like Raymond. The, I like that. The Delaware Mud Hens or Blue Hens. Delaware Blue Hens. That was it. That's yeah. Our, yeah. There you go. Delaver, Delaware, dude. I was just I was on that campus recently last year sometime. Nice campus. But I will say when I think about this, you know, I think about my own Christmases and I think about the fact that that literally. Every Christmas, all I can rem- all I can really think of is I went to a small private day school where it was where they had essentially a Christian message. It wasn't a Christian school, but because it was the fifties and sixties, Christianity in a private school was normal. It was really what what he did. I ha- apparently not now, but apparently I had a good voice, and I would be asked to sing solos during it. And well, you're and I'm singing, and I can just hear me singing the first Noel lines. I could, and I could hear me singing that it literally like it was yesterday because it happened when I was so young. So when all of these little guys end up being infused with this extremely aberrant week or two in their lives of extreme greed, joy, stress, people you haven't seen before but you've heard stories about, it is an amazing pressure cooker of the world around these little heads that I think makes it a different time for the rest of their lives. Good or bad, both probably, right? I mean, my feelings about Christmas are extremely mixed. They're not, they're not like, oh, it was so happy or, or, oh, it was horrible. It wasn't horrible or happy. It was just weird episodes and memories of bad things that happened, good things that happened, but very intense, not passive. Well, we can at least take comfort that the president-elect has promised us we can say Merry Christmas now. We can? We can. We, it's, it's, America's really? great again, and we can say Merry Christmas. So so Christmas is great again. It, it, we're did he cr- make Christmas great again? He might have. He might have. He did have Kanye. Well, we're the, we're in house. New York City right now, and he might have made the the stock market 20,000 points for the first time. Yeah. It's, uh, so there you go. So if we're here next year, I'm thinking 14,650. I think a 6,000 point drop. <laughs> <clears throat> but, you know, that's just me. It's on tape now. So now exactly. we know. Exactly. We have a predictive. Uh, we have a predictive. It's funny because Jake Smith, the rector, and I, uh, we do this lectionary podcast we just started and we did some demo episodes in the summer, right? Like <laughs> early, lectionary. early summer. Cause we were thinking we were, we were going to launch an advent. So we were it was six months at a time. And the first one he was like, well, this is happy advent. And we're thrilled that president elect Trump is going to make the line, lay down the lamb. And he said it jokingly. And he was like, dude, you have that on tape, right? I was like, I do. Jake picked it. Jake called it like, <laughs> like, like early summer, like Jake called it. So he heard the word of the Lord which I think in this case is Dick Cheney yes, and basically exactly. and said, in, or look at Dick Cheney's voice. It said, Trump will be the president. You hear that in July, June or July. I forget what wow. it, but it was, it was early. I mean, it was early summer. I mean, it was, it was early summer. When we did. did the Russians tell him to say that? I don't know. I don't know if the Russians, I don't know how tied the Russians are with the Episcopal clergy. Although who knows? Uh, you know, they may be. I mean, when you have, when somebody's, you know, arch anything, I just think of Russia, but that's just me. <laughs> Well, my friend, I mean, this is, uh, we're waxing poetic about many things. Well, I think that if people hear this today, they hear it, they hear it in the craziness, the Michigas, the weirdness of this, this time when you never are able to live up to your own expectations. I hope they can laugh, right? Yeah. I mean, that is, that is what breaks the veil of, of self-loathing is laughter. 
Yeah, and you know, this is a quote that I read on the Mockingcast, and it's been flying around the site, and people have really liked it, but it's from Adele, Best of, Best of Ross, and it's actually the ellipsis to a book by Thomas Halick. Oh, wow. Who wrote a book called Patience with God, who's, he was a Czech psychotherapist, he's a Czech psychotherapist, and became a priest in the underground church. He was like, he was ordained the day before John Paul II became Pope. Wow. So in the ellipsis to his book, Patience with God, he has this quote from Best of Ross, patience with others is love. Patience with self is hope and patience with God is faith. And so I think, you know, if, if, I mean, God, I think if God is marked by patience and forbearance, like maybe we could be patient with ourselves that, that, that may, I think that's actually a real act of grace <laughs> to, uh, and, and, it, and it's great to hear that in Advent because the idea is that, you know, a lot of us look at the holidays and we just wish they were over already. Right. Yeah. 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 And a, and a lot of kids just want Christmas now to get all the loot. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's, it's funny because nobody's enjoying the moment. I don't yeah, think. Yeah. It's funny because Halleck says that what atheism and fundamentalism have in common is their impatient forms of belief that real faith Ooh. is patient with mysteries of the divine. Do you want to hear a weird analogy? I love weird analogies. I live for weird analogies. This really cuts across the people listening to this might not know this, but I'm an architect, been an architect for 40 years and I deal with, I'm, I'm a state of Connecticut, quote unquote, historic architect. And I am also an architect that many people find to be quote unquote modern, but also architects find me to be traditional. So it's, a, it's so this whole style issue is a floating you defy rigid categorization. It, well, it's a it's a whole horrible thing out there. A lot a lot like sectarianism. But anyway, there's one abiding reality between people that own antique homes and people that build modern homes. That there is an obsessional devotion to perfection. Hmm. Hmm. And when you're obsessed with following rules that you didn't create, the architect created the rules for the modern house and the dead people created the rules for the antique house. When you're obsessed with following the rules, I do often think you lose the ability to enjoy anything. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. And and it's interesting because the Christmas story is not contrary to some people. Uh, suspicions. It wasn't Plan B. It's Plan A. It's, it's not. It's not like you know that 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 creation went awry. And God, what am I going to do now? I mean, the incarnation. PT Forsyth says there's a cross at the heart of God, and so mm. before God was our creator, He was determined to be our redeemer. And so, without uh, imperfection, like was was uh, Augustine say, blessed fall, Felix Culpa, that led to a more blessed redemption. Hmm. So if you're uh, perfect, you don't experience the well, love of re- redemptive grace. Isn't that what's interesting is that you think about the things that in the sort of immediate superficial zeitgeist mean the most to the, you know, easily distracted, exhausted everyone. My my wife and I both weep uncontrollably when we see It's a Wonderful Life and we weep uncontrollably when we see the when George C. Scott plays um, Scrooge, right? And both of those things essentially are about really screwing up, about living a life like Scrooge did that basically said, F you to the world and and I'm what's important and money's what's important. And 
and you have you know uh, Bailey uh, basically in 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 his little town screwing up because he trusted and loved a drunk to be his uh, basically his bookkeeper his accountant and lost everybody's money hmm. and that that reality of forgiveness for yourself is very hard and that might be the hardest possible thing and it's even harder when things like the holidays end up making a million ways to fall short yeah. a million ways not to perform hmm. I still cry and cry and cry at the end of Wrath of Khan when Spock saves yeah. the ship yeah I, I, and I get very scared when I, when I see on the show when, he, when, when, when Kirk screams Khan I don't I still don't know what it means, but it scares me. It's amazing. I, Ricardo Montalban is the best bad guy ever. In did, now, did he actually wear bronzer, or was that the color of his skin? I think it was the color, color of his skin. And he and Shatner hardly had any, like, they hardly hung out at all in the filming because they weren't really on screen together. Oh. So they didn't really. That was, that was not Ricardo Montalban's hair, though, when he was con. That could not have been. I mean, he. I don't know. I don't think it was. No. But it was his pectoral muscles. It had to have been, unless they did an amazing job with the bronzer to sort of articulate lines that weren't there or whatever. I mean, some manner of something. Yeah. I, well, I do think that, you know, the idea of Spock uh, being St. Paul and, and, and Kirk being Jesus is something that I've read a lot about. And I'm just lying. But. I was going to say, I've never read that. No, no, I, I'm just I lying. Like, but, I was uh, like, I'm a Star Trek, <laughs> a Star Trek geek, and, I, and I'm pretty into theology. I've never heard that, And too. it doesn't make any sense when you think about it, but still, there you are. Well, I thought maybe we could conclude with a quote from Carl Jung. Why not? Why not? Paul's all would love this. Paul's not here with us. And, but Hi, Paul. Yeah, exactly. Give shout out to Paul. The acceptance of oneself is the essence of the whole moral problem and the epitome of a whole outlook on life. That I feed the hungry, that I forgive an insult, that I love my enemy in the name of Christ, all these are undoubtedly great virtues. What I do unto the least of my brethren, that I do unto Christ. But what if I should discover that the least among them all, the poorest of all the beggars, the most impudent of all the offenders, the very enemy himself, that these are within me, and that mm. I myself stand in need of the alms of my own kindness, that I myself am the enemy who must be loved? What then? As a rule, the Christian's attitude is then reversed. There is no longer any question of love or long-suffering. We say to the brother within us, Raka, and condemn and rage against ourselves. We hide it from the world. We refuse to admit ever having met this least among the lowly in ourselves. Carl Jung from Memories, Dreams, and Reflections. And when the holidays make you want to be somebody you're not... And you end up not being able to be the thing you're not because you're not the thing you want to be. Yeah, you might literally find yourself sleeping with the enemy at the holidays. That's where I think, for me anyway, Jesus comes in. Amen to that, brother. And congratulations to being elected, by the way, to the standing committee. Oh, not standing or committee. Or the mission committee. The mission council. The mission council. That sounds incredibly impressive. We'll see what happens. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, brother. Thanks for joining us for this special holiday edition of The Mockingcast. You can find us at our regularly scheduled time every Friday, where we have a myriad of guests and we talk about the contents of our weekly wrap-up piece, Another Week Ends. Hope you will join us there as well. Roll along in broken song, song.